0: Welcome to the Cyber Guy Podcast, your source for engaging cyber education, cyber discussions, and a look at current cyber news and trends with retired FBI Special Agent Darren Mott. This is episode 76 of the Cyber Guy Podcast. I am your host, retired FBI Supervisor Special Agent, Darren Mott, and I thank you very much for taking the time to download and listen and support the podcast. And my other podcast, the Cyber Smart Podcast, that is more designed for those folks who you know who need more information on cyber stuff. Uh, and it's kind of like Cyber 101, but in a little seven to 10 minute chunk. So if you have the time, or know someone who would benefit from that, uh, send them over to that one, the Cyber Smart Podcast. Uh, this particular episode is going to be a little different than I've done in the past. I was honored to have been asked to be on the Lojo Show podcast uh, a week or 10 days ago. Um, Lojo Show is uh, hosted by Lovercher Jones, who is a general board member and really the founder of BlackRock Engineering and Technology, which is a engineering and cybersecurity firm that supports uh, the defense industrial base and other agencies Uh, and they are located in Melbourne, Florida, but he's got his own podcast. And so him and I uh, kind of got together and chatted about a host of many different things uh, within the cyber world. And he recorded for his podcast. I recorded it for mine. So really this is coming from their podcast, but they were, um, nice enough to let me record it and use it as well to post here so this this whole episode is basically going to be our conversation Uh, i hope you enjoy it and as always if you have questions thoughts or comments on the podcast feel free to hit me up darren at the com. but uh, after this interview i'll come in close out the podcast and talk about some things that are coming up
1: all right, guys. So, folks, we're joined here today with uh, Darren Mott from the uh, Cyber Guy show. This guy has his own podcast. So we've got two podcasters here sitting on the line talking to each other. That might be a miracle in and of itself today. So um, great to have Darren as well, and great to be able to, again, have these discussions and stuff with people who are knowledgeable. Darren's, you know, background and stuff, too, is really, really uh, uh, something that's, uh, that, that's unique uh, for uh, folks who are in podcasting and stuff, too, because he brings that other view and stuff, too, that we uh, don't usually get to see. I got a good corporate view, a good DOD view of things, but at the end, as far as when we look at how we protect ourselves and what we're doing here in the U.S. and the things that really keep us up at night domestically, I think that's a handle that uh, that Darren takes on there. So, I'm going to have him also introduce himself there, and then I'll, I'll go through kind of my background, too.
0: Well, Richard, thanks so much. I appreciate the opportunity to come on and, uh, and talk on the show. I guess we're talking on each other's show here as we, we both record this this conversation, so it'll be one way or the other. Uh, like I said, I'm a retired FBI agent, uh, 20 years doing cyber and counterintelligence I have two podcasts, The Cyber Guy, and I spell cyber C Y B U R, and that's a play on the bureau in FBI because when you're in the FBI, you have your BU car and your BU gun and your BU phone. So. Um, when I was coming up with the podcast idea that just kind of fit with cyber for that perspective. So, and I also have another one called get cyber smart, which is like a cyber one hundred 7 to 10 minute little podcast a week that talks about some cyber topic for people who, you know, unlike you and I spend a lot of time looking at this and dealing with this and talking things about this, who just don't think about it. Cause, uh, if you get a little cyber smarter, you get a whole lot cyber safer. Sorry. I had to throw that in there. So, yeah, I like yeah. that one,
1: man. That's a, uh, uh, might have to, might have to trademark that one. And then, uh... <laughs> Give you some rights to that. <laughs> Fair enough. so, so uh, I think one of the things that's really, really important from our end is—is this—is that, like you said, you came from a law enforcement side. Mine's been from a corporate as well as from a DoD side as far as, uh, with cyber. So my perspective and stuff from that has really come from how do I protect myself? How do I, <laughs> how do I keep myself one in compliance? To also protect myself from you know advanced persistent threats and stuff too that are out there in the in both in the uh, in the corporate world as well as how that affects the employees and stuff too uh, of these organizations. Um, so half my time was always spent really arguing over the dollars and cents behind what it was that we're going to do, and trying to measure, you know, how how does this do? How do we do this in a proportionate manner, right? What's really the risk to my organization? And you know, from there, define kind of what the plan is, and then uh, ultimately try to get it, you know, funded. From uh, from the C suite or or from other you know entities and stuff that were involved with it, but I think one of the points that you've you know that 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 you've been making is the counterintelligence part of this right, and you know to your point I think I find it very true that counterintelligence is one of the areas that was definitely left out significantly because of one people trying to determine what was the value of it, and two, how effective was it? And so I think a, a good perspective that you can bring to this conversation today would be that counterintelligence component and how that has been really, uh, how, that's, how that's essential you know, to kind of the future, look at how you do cyber and how you actually uh, implement and protect and, and preserve what you're doing and your, your, your crown jewels as an organization, as well as people.
0: Right? So let's let's define counterintelligence first. because counterintelligence is really not um, any special thing, but people think counterintelligence and think spies, James Bond, CIA, all that kind of stuff. And then to a certain extent, that's something that those entities do. They are basically trying to stop nation state actors from gathering intelligence of their adversaries. So like China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, Israel, Britain, Germany, pick a country, they all want information from each other and from us. So and they do different ways to do this. In the during the Cold War, we would send people over to embassies in Russia and they would spy on the Russians, Russians would send people over to the US and they would spy on us. And we would have counterintelligence officers in the FBI or agents in the FBI that would try to stop them from doing that either by dangling false information to them, turning them to be double agents against each other. That's the counterintelligence platform. So from a cyber perspective, what does that look like? Well, you're trying to stop the cyber actors, be it nation state or not, because really the the whole cyber environment has changed because, as you said, you were looking at cyber from a how do I protect our crown jewels and how do I get money to fund that? I was looking at from a different perspective of what do the bad guys want? Who are they targeting and why are they targeting that information? And it was amazing how many times I would go to a company who got hit with a cyber attack. I never went to a single single victim who said, well, it was our turn. We knew it was coming. You know, we, we were ready for it. They all said, I don't, I didn't think anybody, I, we had anything anyone would want. I was talking to a guy yesterday and he said, for most companies below like a billion dollars or below a hundred million, they don't think they're targets. And I'm here to tell you, everybody's a target. Not just of the criminal stuff. The ransomware is rampant. It's everywhere. But the nation state guys is just as important to them because there's there's a there's a variety of reasons they would want access to your network, either to launch attacks against what their ultimate goal target is. So like, let's say you're, I'll give you an example. So when I was in Cleveland, um, we worked a case where we knew there was a nation state actor. I don't want to give up the country name, China. So I'll keep that to myself. But they had uh, compromised three boxes, one at a local police station web server, one at a subway sandwich shop terminal, and one at a web server for a small company. And they were using that to launch launch attacks against another entity. Um, And so All three of those victims in the Cleveland area would have said, I have nothing anyone would want, but they had the bandwidth for that. And then you have the other targets that are, you know, your Boeing and Lockheed that have the national defense stuff. And what companies, I don't think, now big companies do. If they're over a billion, they get it. They have insider threat programs. I would argue, and maybe this is a question for you, like for the companies you've dealt with, what is their perspective on insider threat? Because that's really the number one counterintelligence area that most companies start with because that – Prevents the insider from stealing information given to someone else. But how much of that and the stuff I've seen is just, well, we had to do this program because if we're a government contractor, DFAR says we have to insider threat programs. We say this guy over here does insider threat. He does training once a year. We're good. What, what is your, what's your perspective on that? How does that look from what you've seen?
1: Your biggest and largest 20 or so aerospace and defense companies, and you could probably name them off the top of your head for the most part, that make up the most amount of the revenue in aerospace and defense have always had a very huge focus on insider threat, especially over the last 10 years, right? being able to use behavioral analytics, a lot of them have developed a lot of their own stuff in order to do that. They weren't just going to vendor to the vendor at that time, they actually created their own behavioral analytics platforms and stuff too, in order to look at what are the behaviors and stuff from the insider, th- insider threat program is there. And here's the thing, each one of those organizations has to go through annual training anyway, insider threat training and operational security, right? And so, it, based on the principles and processes you have for just let's say your uh, you know the person-to-person behavioral uh, behavioral controls and stuff from there, like hey, this person seems like they have a little bit more money than what they should, or right? Oh, they seem to be taking more vacations than what we know they hey, they're making twenty-five thousand dollars a year. How are they doing this, right? Mm-hmm. So they knew that they had to start to apply that within uh, within their within their technology with their collaboration communications and computing uh, architectures because they knew that that was also a big case of where they could have huge loss of information as well as be liable and stuff for that and as the years have come on with things like the dfars clause and stuff too and you know the eventual CMMC you know component here that has become even more uh more vigilant especially when they look at the higher levels of that certification and stuff too for the future so not only is it hey we're doing this because we know that this is a this is a you know this is a viable platform to be uh, either embarrass us or to to be a huge vulnerability for our national defense but also for this now it's to also make sure that they're complying with the regulations are complying with uh, those capabilities and controls that they need to attest to now uh, under even things like fraud waste and abuse and stuff too in the future there they have to protect themselves for that so uh, that is starting to really uh waterfall throughout the industry at this point so you had your top big 20 there now you're looking at a you know industrial control base of what 300,000 or so companies mm-hmm. uh so that is starting to tread through and so now you are seeing where smaller organizations the 20 millions the 15 million stuff too where they only have let's say 100 or so uh employees in that case but they still need to be able to track and trace and stuff for that so you see the influx of this capability is as far as in the tools that are available from vendors, uh, as well as the focus of these CISOs as well as CIOs in terms of trying to really protect themselves. And more importantly, uh, they've tied it to your ability to generate revenue within those industries. So now the focus is really much higher at this point. Um, financial industries, on the other hand, too. Uh, they've been very big in this area uh, for years because that's something that they've had to track for years as well as far as what your financial spending and stuff is, uh, how is that used, and then having to report as well because they're have the, you know, they obligated to have to report on some of these things too just based on some of the internal regulations within that industry.
0: You, but you know where they're not doing it, where they need to be doing it, is in education, in, Yeah, in higher education because you have all of these um, – foreign students coming over from threat countries and there is a percentage of them that are here for intellectual property theft, if you will. I mean, for lack of a better way to state it. And, you know, in the, in the university system, it's like, well, we, you know, we want to share information. We want to share intelligence. I think it's starting to get a little better because there's been some reports from, um, DHS and others that have highlighted issues with that. There was actually a letter, what, three years ago that went out to all of the universities about, you know... uh, nation state actors sending students over are stealing your stuff and you need to take it serious. Cause I know I here in when I was in Huntsville as a CI supervisor, I did a lot of outreach. I got a lot of calls from a lot of colleges saying, can you come talk to us about this? Cause we don't understand what it means. So I had to go talk to them. Hey, here's what it means. But you know, beyond the dib beyond, I mean, healthcare, I would think has a pretty good program with HIPAA and you have to store all that information. And like you said, financial with PCI, PCI and, and such, but you know, there's, there's still millions of other companies that just, it's not something they think about because they don't think they have anything anyone would want. And that's a bad thought to have.
1: And to your point, when you when you talk about higher education and in particular in the engineering departments and stuff too, and IP areas there, uh, I graduated from Old Dominion University. We had a huge, huge, huge uh, foreign national population and stuff too there. Uh, you know, as far as for the studies and stuff, and our location and stuff was right by Naval Station Norfolk.
0: Yeah, right? of course, yes.
1: <laughs> With well, many programs integrated, so you look at these these programs at schools like Old Dominion, George Mason, and stuff too. We have this great pipeline to dod as well as other research apparatus and stuff that's out there um from an ip standpoint um there are you're right the the focus is not as it's never really been strictly and Swifty on uh, security within those. Uh, it has been with available and that new shiny penny. Can we develop that? Can we make it happen? Can we make it work? And then, of course, from a university system standpoint, for anybody who's tried to sell into the university systems in the U.S., mm-hmm. it's tight knit and they will borrow and steal from each other as much as possible in order not to pay. <laughs> so, yeah, it is that. Yeah. So that concentration, you're absolutely right. It's been uh, it, it is something that, uh, that leaves something to be desired. However, Things like universities and research universities that use uh, uh, federal dollars and stuff now. Um, again, they're starting to be driven to okay. You now have to account for this. You have to account and report to this. You can't just deploy this high-performance computing environment and stuff here that uh, uh, that's going to you know provide you know work as far as analytics and AI and build on to the next future there without controlling that. And we used to think, hey. we can control that through things like, um, uh, through like uh, ITAR, right? Mm-hmm. And then have them sign TPR, uh, uh, technology control plans, right? The TCPs and stuff that they would use for that. But even that is not far enough at this point, because all you're saying is, yeah, we're watching them.
0: Right, and here's the problem, right? Because so technology yeah. moves like like re- like really fast like this, and the bad guys are right behind us saying, okay, I can, we can modify, we can figure out a way around that. And not just technology, but even, you know, things in place to protect technology, law enforcement way back here. And then your politicians and all the administrators who come up with the compliance are way down the road. So now compliance is coming in, but by the time compliance is even installed to be used, let's take CMMC for example. So, you know, mm-hmm. we've both been around since the CMC started 1.0 or 0. 0.4 in 2019 In 2020, those first contracts are coming and you're going to have to be <laughs> CMC compliant. Uh, has there been a certification yet? No, <laughs> why not? Because it's not due no, till next year. right? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we get, we can do compliance all day long, but the bad guys don't, how do we? They're gonna find their ways around it, and then so I mean, I don't, I don't fault the the people who do the compliance and come up with the compliance ideas. I understand why you have to do it, but mm-hmm. I know it's just not. It's just it's the it's the bureaucracy that we live in, and bad guys are always gonna bad guys are always working. So it's easy for right. them.
1: Right. The right. I mean, bad guys are always working. And the other part is we look to further things. Like we have this focus now on things like AI and quantum computing and stuff too, as that moves forward. Well, guess what? You kind of exponentially increase risk and stuff with that yeah. because of the speed of computing, the speed of which you can do things like decryption and stuff now, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, true pioneers at the end, right? They're not going to look at the security component, right? right. It's going to be, we need to press forward. Right, we gotta yep. get this to market. We need to see our vision and stuff from it, and just like that, you know, regulations and controls and stuff for that, um, and and even the education of uh, workforces and stuff on how to protect yourself are gonna lag behind a good two and three years behind. You know, as far as being able to do that, and that leaves that opportunity. That's the opportunity gap there. Um, you know, because funny enough, you're still gonna have to connect that stuff to legacy stuff that uh, right. still is well. I mean, wearing all the vulnerabilities and everything else, right?
0: I still love every time I see an article that. Oh, a Windows XP that was unknown on the network got popped. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. And these are these are huge. You know, these are huge events. I mean, these are huge events. I mean, Colonial Pipeline and everything else. Right. When you talk about what what actually happened, and you go, okay, was that really? That was not very complicated. Right. It was really somebody already did this and Latin waited for years before they actually took advantage of that. Right. Um, yeah. And, and that's what you see. Uh, and you, 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 see it throughout, uh, you can see it throughout our lives as well. You I know, mean, how many people still are using an iPhone, let's say iPhone eight. Right.
0: Right. right. Cause they right like now. the button. They want the button.
1: Right. They want the button. Right. <laughs> or they're used to it and they don't want to change. <laughs> yep.
0: Right. 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 Well, it's amazing. You, you mentioned colonial pipeline. I mean, it, and that just goes to show the lack of understanding of what the threat is. I mean, I say all the time, understand your threat, you can assess your risk. Colonial Pipeline didn't understand their threat because when it happened to their business network, which was not connected to their distribution network, they shut it all down because they didn't understand it. I mean, yep. it's, that's where our problem exactly. is. And if, uh, you know, and they're a pretty big company. Uh, Solar Winds. Yeah, they're,
1: they're huge. Solar Winds. Yeah. Solar SolarWinds,
0: pretty big company. I'm thinking it's pretty big. And uh, they let a they let an intern change the password to their update server to solarwinds one two three exclamation point. Great.
1: Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, at least it wasn't the rainbow. Thank goodness. There we go. Yeah. But still, same same means at the end there. Right. Um, it, it's a. Uh, a yeah, yeah. I was just talking about as far as on how you know on, on how we built our envi- how we built our envir- environments uh, back then and how we used to practice and say, you know what, if we see that it was a risk, we just kind of turn it off and try to separate it from the world. But the world doesn't really allow that now. You know, for you to be competitive or to be able to really link into the you know to the utility as well as the you know the benefits uh, that you can get from a connected world. Yeah, you know, those days are over. So, yeah, now the things that used to be, hey, I'm still running a vac system to, you know, to look at things like weather, that has to go away. Right. <laughs> right. You have to update that. And uh, these are industries that are reluctant to do that. If they look at things like life, if they say, hey, you know what, uh, we can go another 10 years on that because all that does is just one specific job and that's it. And and it's, uh, yeah, and it's amazing because yeah. you can't
0: like you can't test you can't penetration test it because they say hey well we let us not do a penetration test because that might break it. Well, yeah. Okay. Well, if that's a if that's a problem, then <laughs> wouldn't you want <laughs> to do something to figure something out? Because if, if you get the right bad guy with the right bad intent, that's what he wants it to do.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, we saw this with a manufacturing customer one time. They're like, "Hey, please don't scan that part of our network because it might actually clip off one of our refrigerators." I was <laughs> like, oh my gosh! It was a pharmaceutical company. <laughs> yeah. Just, uh... <laughs> <laughs> the fact that that is the high the fact that that's a high risk right there probably should say you need to fix it.
0: <laughs> right, or update it, or <laughs> find something. But I understand the I understand yeah. the price issues, the cost issues. But yeah. but I mean, do they do? So I mean, do the companies like that do like? single loss expectancy, annualized, you know, return on investment as far as like, if we have an incident, here's what we're going to, here's what's gonna cost us versus if we upgrade it, here's what the cost is. I gotta think that's going on.
1: If you asked me this question three years ago, no, it was not a regular basis in which they went through that process. Um, what they typically had to do, for instance, if this company was operating, you know, and I'll just stay on the same company, I was talking about their, you know, they are global manufacturer and stuff there. The only reason why they had to go through this process of really looking at this was so that they could stay in front of their ISO auditor, because that was required for them to do business in the Europe. Mm. If they were just doing business in the US Wow. Nope. It was the European, it was, it, it was Europe's, uh, cybersecurity laws as well. Some of their, you know, certifications and stuff from that end that they would recognize in order to do business and to provide something like that, like medicine and pharmaceuticals and stuff from there that, uh, that forced them to do these types of things.
0: Well, I guess that's good on Europe's part for at least mandating that and forcing them to do that. But, um, yep. you know, I well, and, and here's I, a, go ahead.
1: Yeah. Uh, here's the other gap to this, right? The other gap is that this was a finding for 10 years. Never fixed until 11 years later. (laughs) (laughs) It was was a continuous thing. You find it on their network, any of their, let's say, any of their network weaknesses or network penetration, network segmentation, right? You'd find that. You'd have these huge findings from that. You could actually demonstrate what could happen right from it and it would stay open for all those years uh because one it just didn't be it was not a priority as far as uh saying hey for these funds for this year go ahead and do that so the measurements of that was gone but again now Two years later, I would say that the majority of the clients and stuff that we had at that point and working with, let's uh, you know, say, you know, with uh, with 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 pharmaceutical companies, manufacturing anything that was anything things international, uh, they ended up moving far ahead uh, of our you know of our typical domestic companies and stuff within that, uh, just because they had to comply with that. Um, and in general, also, if they're taking on, you know, uh, personal information and stuff, too, from that, GDPR and European unions, uh, I did, or, you know, per- privacy laws and stuff, too, from there had to be enforced, you know, very rarely had to be enforced very stringently and applied uh, with a lot of diligence. So those were some of the key focus areas for legal organizations within those companies.
0: So let's go back to the counterintelligence piece real quick. So there's things that mm-hmm. that companies can do very Simply, I think, and, and you can pr- you can see, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to present a scenario here. You tell me if it's good, bad, or ugly. So let's say you want, you know that you have a crown jewel that is very important to your business model. And you know you're ad- that adversaries want it. Either criminally, um, nation state, doesn't matter. That, that if, if someone was to get in your network and do bad things, these, this would be very bad. Um, or it could be, you know, a customer pre-I, pick your, pick your poison. But you can two things you can do on your network that seem to be very cost effective, that would alert you to both an insider issue or an external insider, meaning someone from outside who's now in your network and looking around. Because I mean, as we both know, the average time for a company to detect an intrusion in their network is like 300 days, so they're going to be in there for a while. But you set up a folder and you call it whatever whatever your super project is. Pick a pick a special name for your project. And you fill it with a bunch of encrypted files that have nothing in them other than these bogus encrypted files. And you set alerts on that folder and you hide it within a, w- within a framework somewhere on your network and you have alerts set on it. So if anyone was to access that folder, like the only people that know the folder exists are uh, is your CIO, IT manager, and maybe your security manager, however you want to set that up. Um, and then, then if someone goes in that net, then that folder who no one should have access to, but they find it and they go in it, you know you then have a problem. Do you know of any companies that are doing that? Does that seem like it's an it's a something that, if I think from a counterintelligence perspective, it's something that seems simple to put forward that wouldn't take a lot of time and would provide you with an instant alert that perhaps you have an issue. I mean, it's not the only thing you should do, but from a from a if company's just looking to start down the road, what do you think of that as an idea for something to do going forward?
1: Yeah, this is a, uh you know, that, that approach and stuff has been used as far as from a honeypot standpoint. Right. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you this, the, the, the folks that are trained nowadays, as far as to run these programs and stuff like that, they're not the same as what they were back in, say the early 2000s, where we would set up tremendously exquisite honeypots, right? right. Mm-hmm. With some of the same characteristics that you're speaking of, as far as really things that are enticing. Uh, it wasn't to you know, try to catch them and throw to the jail. It was really to monitor them and see, okay, this is what you're doing. Here are some of the methods you're doing, right? Oh, here are the type of root kits and stuff too that you're starting to look at really deploying within our environment. Here are the tools and utilities that you have, right? And being able to discover that and then be able to apply that from a counter standpoint from our end within our network, that helped us decide a lot of times what was gonna be Necessary for us, should we spend more money from a firewall standpoint? Should we spend more money as far as on the actual uh, endpoint that that's running on? Right? Does it re- Do we need more malware on this? Do we need to run a host-based, you know, IDS or so from that? Right? That's what used to kind of drive those decisions there. So yes, that to some extent that is being used. Some of the most savvy folks that I know of that are running um, that are that are running um, uh, managed security services and stuff from that that are really being paid to do this or. in some cases to be able to automate this, they are beginning to deploy that type of capability um, you know, at, at, at scale, as far as, you know, defining, okay, this is some area where, hey, these are some of the sensitive applications, these are sensitive uh, data stores, files and stuff from there. So we moved away from, from like traditional file systems, mm-hmm. you know, to now uh, these collaborative cloud-based systems and stuff too, that's there, but sure. now, uh, with that, you're able to actually do some of that modeling and stuff too, and then be able to really monitor what, uh, monitor, what parties and stuff are doing there. Um, some organizations see it as risky because you're like, it's almost like you're inviting them into the infrastructure, but, they're already in your infrastructure. They're, again, they're <laughs> right. already in there. Yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. how about you monitor and figure out how to stop what they're doing? And so that study part is, is the piece there. And I, and I would say that's the area that really the education of cybersecurity professionals has fallen flat.
0: Mm-hmm. Cause really that's all that is a dangle. That's a digital is All that is that you're, you're, you're dangling yep. that out there to see who will touch on it. And if they do, they probably have ill intent.
1: Yep. But, yep. but yeah. Now, like I said, it, it, it's 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 a it's a way to really you know define that and really to you know do that. That's what we used to do for fun,
0: right? Yes, we exactly. Yes, so set those up, see what cyber, happens. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, that's what yep. we
1: used to do for fun, but that's not what people do for fun anymore. So when you're speaking to an executive or so, or if you're speaking to um, someone that's in any management position or a position of leadership that hadn't come necessarily from a technical background, they don't understand that, and immediately they say that's too high risk for us.
0: Right. right? Yeah
1: that is the barrier that's in there so that is an area that if i say from a leadership standpoint uh within cyber that don't just go with the business guy you gotta also go with the person that has that technical chops as well to say and discern hey this is a good way for us to really look and learn and see what's really applicable to our environment versus not
0: i think that's really the big problem really you mentioned leadership is there's just not a lot of leadership in the cyber World per se. I mean, certainly you have CISOs and, and you have some CIOs that are technically trained, but you know a lot of people. I mean, there's already what what is it, a two million personnel gap in cybersecurity yep. personnel. So that's just the regular people getting into cybersecurity. So you get that right. gap. I mean, that got to, the the leadership gap has got to extrapolate itself up the same. I saw this in the FBI all the time. You had guys that would go in to become senior managers in the cyber division of the FBI who, who mm-hmm. never, you know, they were lucky if they get their mouse to work correctly, but because yep. they went into leadership and they were able to get to promoted there, they would spend six months in the cyber division as a deputy assistant director or assistant director. And then they would, in their last six months of employment with the FBI, go get CISSP certified. And then they would come out and say, ooh, I am a cyber leader. I know all about cyber. Never worked a cyber investigation in their life. Um, and, you know, the good thing is I think- The private sector weeds those out over time. I mean, some of them are very good at leading people. So, I mean, there's a difference between leading people and leading technology and and thought process there. I think where the issue drops, and I saw this in the FBI, is you didn't have leaders with a strategy on how to deal with the problem. I think the guy Mm -hmm. they have there now as the assistant director is trying to do those things. He seems like he's very engaged because you see him talking a lot about what the Bureau does online. But the problem is it's the same buzzwords I've heard for 15 years. You know, Mm public-private sector partnership, and we're going to work with the DIB, and we're going to share intelligence, and all that kind of stuff. That's okay. But how? How are you doing that? My biggest, and I'm I'm tangent. I'm going off on a tangent now. My biggest Mm -hmm. complaint over the last year is this whole executive action that was made about cybersecurity and creating the cybersecurity review board, like the end the um, uh, national traffic and NTSB. And, and so like, there's going to be a cyber yeah, incident. We're going to we send a group, a group, group out and, and they're, they're gonna going to tell story, you, yeah. we're going to tell you what we did wrong. Have you seen one yet? Have we seen one yet? Can we seen one? Oh,
1: no. And how can you keep up? How can you keep up as a board? How can you, <laughs> you keep up as any kind of committee or board or whichever on cybers? It's so vast, right? It's so vast. It's happening so fast. Right. You can't go, Hey, we got a meeting on Friday. We're going to meet today. We're going to solve this one issue. Well, yeah. there's a couple of billion that's going on right now. Right. Right. Yep. Uh, and when we talk about workforce right you, the two, the 2 million dollar oh sorry the 2 million person gap there that's creating kind of a risk by itself because now one of the things that you have a hard time with right now is retaining your cybersecurity skill sets because guess what the market is amped for cybersecurity practitioners to make a lot of money mm-hmm. by going from job to job to job not really ever solving the issue at the first job that they were at. they have only there for six months and they're like, hey, you know what? I got a bump of $80,000 because I got this certification. Let's move on to that next one, right? So you get this thing where you just don't have that staying power where you've got the staff and the people who are really familiar with your organization, your network and everything else to really do the security in the way that it should be done. So instead you got folks that have memorized some controls and say, hey, do you have this control?
0: Right, right. Yes. Here's NIST 800 171. Is this, you do this? Good. Okay, you're
1: good. Yep. Instead of how do you guys parse your files and kind of go through and identify where you're hashing and stuff to maybe go on right as far as your SAM, right? Mm -hmm. Can you write a pro script or whichever to go through that? Very rare do you find that skill set right now that you have people that can do that, as well as go toe for toe with a software developer or with an application developer in the organization to go, what you did right there is not correct. It's not right. And the developer says, "Well, it won't work if I if I don't do it this way." Oh, yes, it will. You'll find a way, <laughs> <All> right? <laughs> you don't have that. You don't have that interaction anymore, right? Where you have that argument. It's just, "Hey, did you check this box?" Yeah, I checked it. I ran it through our Raptor framework and stuff from that, and it it should be good. That type of analysis is gone. So you get a lot of buggy code and stuff out there to put a lot of uh, still a lot of um, uh, vulnerabilities that uh, just don't get fixed. The bugs, yeah
0: hmm And, you know, the other problem is, so you have, so again, wrapping back around to the counterintelligence piece, the whole thing with cyber is you got yeah. cyber and a human, if you got cyber and human, you got both those two sides. So if they can't get into you from a cyber perspective, you get from a human perspective. So in a company, your two main areas that protect that are your CISO and your security officer, your physical security officer. Yet those two guys don't seem to ever want to talk to each other because they're like, you're infringing on my domain. And so, and I, I get that. I'm, I'm stealing this from a guy I talked to yesterday. on On I recorded a podcast yesterday, and I talked to him, and he said this, that's the problem is the CISO and the physical security guy don't won't don't collaborate enough. They they argue over their resources, and they feel like you're jumping in in their in their framework, and that all that does is leave more more risk for the company beyond all the stuff you just talked about, not the code and everything like that. So you now have those three yeah. areas where where it's just I, I'm not sure how we how we split this baby or, or or fix, you're never going to fix the problem. But I think at the end of the day, we really just have to shoot to how do we reduce the risk? And, and I think it's all these, all these things combined and, pieces that are most important.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Some organizations have gone as far as to label a position called the CSO which has both physical security requirements and cyber security requirements so well, you'll see that in a lot of the utilities and a lot of the power and energy you know, and industries in that case because from a critical infrastructure standpoint um you know that's that's associated it's critical that you get your physical security right but also your cyber security so they have the position now cso um,
0: what certification you need for that what's the certification that's required
1: <laughs> that's the same that's needed for for a CISO, I guess. <laughs> that's true because there's the physical
0: sorry. domain on the CISO on the CISP test, right?
1: <laughs> Well, I always say, I was like, so you need to find a cop and a geek and put them right. all together and that's just CS. There you
0: go. So I should get my CS. <laughs> uh, I'm actually working towards my CASP right now because I figured I have a master's degree in cybersecurity. Why would I want a certification? Uh-huh. But now I just need to just so I can say, Ooh, hey, I got this certification. I passed the test. Uh,
1: I, I will tell you right now, some of the best ones I know have exactly that background where they were mm-hmm. in law enforcement prior, right? Mm-hmm. So they understand physical security and understand human behavior and stuff from that end. And then they went ahead and moved forward to the cybersecurity realm. A lot of going to like university of maryland and stuff for that so mm-hmm. uh that's where i've seen that a lot in the industry when you look at resumes and stuff too it's like oh this is okay all right you understand critical infrastructure you understand nerc zip and stuff too and you put that all together and you've got uh you got someone that's perfect for a cso standpoint
0: yeah, yeah. and you have a clearance and clearances are good
1: and you have a clearance yes <laughs> No, it's uh no, it, it is a unique industry. I, we've been calling it kind of like an amoeba nowadays, right? It yeah. just kind of takes on the form that you know the the environment is you know, is pushing it towards, and you know at one point, you know, four years ago, we weren't really talking about um, automation or let's say, machine learning and stuff in our tools from a cyber standpoint. We thought about it, but it was kind of like oh, that's way on the horizon, all right. And then in addition to that, when you've got these let's say multi national organizations with locations all over the world that physical security piece uh i would say was probably one of the most complex things to solve especially on things so something as simple as you know facility entrance systems right Right. as far as your you know and you know being able to enter your facility uh being able to um identify the right credentials as well as people you know flying from one place or one location to another uh and being able to account for them because it was essential to their job but the organization wasn't set up to bill it so you had an inherent physical risk uh you know in scotland or whichever right <laughs> you know in that case basically it, it, that wasn't such a risk in the u.s because of how you were doing you know your electronic entry systems and stuff too for that
0: yeah so yeah when i was in so yeah. i was working in charlotte and there was a company in Triangle Research Park that was basically selling a portion. I'm like, I don't want to name the company. But they're selling a portion of their business model to a Chinese company. And so we had to go to them and talk about, hey, here here are the risks that you are incorporating by selling this business platform to the Chinese for what they want to do. And how are you going to protect U.S. interest and in intellectual property that you have from being compromised by your now Chinese ownership. And they said, well, you know, when we know they're going to send engineers over here, but you see that door, that's going to be locked at all times. So, and that's going to be on the other side of that door is where the important stuff is. And no one's, they're never going to get through that. Okay. Yeah. Needless to say, that particular brand of that particular item is not allowed on U.S. networks, U.S. government networks. Let's just say you don't see that particular brand being purchased by a lot of government entities because of that particular yeah. aspect. But, but, but the consumer buys it. Consumer buys it all day long because their prices are cheaper. And so, yep. so now the consumer who now works from home because of COVID for the company that doesn't buy it but has it at home. There's your, there's your, there, yeah. there, there you go. New vector.
1: There it is. There it is. Yep. Yeah. And, and speaking of that, you know, basically our new working situation now, for the most part, I don't want to say even new now, it's it's been two years right. Right now, right? Uh, how we look at how we look at security, how we look at even, you know, people working from home and stuff from there, that remote work model, uh, that's definitely changed quite a bit as well, because now you're essentially having split tunnels all over the place for your, you know, at your homes, right? You've got your computer, you get on your wireless network, and then you connect to the, you know, to the business one, like, oh, but I joined my VPN first. I was like, but how do you, uh, do you turn your VPN off ever? Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When I need to print, I was like, Oh, okay. All right. (laughs) On your home network. Right. Yep. All right. Using certain available, uh, products that, like you said, the government doesn't use. Right. (laughs)
0: Exactly. Yep.
1: Right. Yeah. It's right there in the house, right there at the home. You know, it's, uh, uh, that is different. That is a whole different, uh, you know, uh, again, attack vector, and opportunity that's there, uh, and it does make it more susceptible to folks just kind of going around the neighborhood at that point in time, monitoring networks and stuff too, home network, which, you know, I'll admit too, yeah, I'm not that great as far as on my home network. Right. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I yeah. But, you know, yeah. 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 Because people got to join it, right? My kids got to play their games on it. Right. Exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah. When your your mother-in-law comes over, yeah. she's got to have wireless for her iPhone.
1: Yeah, and by goodness, do not have do not have a sixteen, you know, a 16 <laughs> right, exactly. password, Better not right? be complicated. Okay, that's gonna Yeah, that's not gonna that's not happening because right. you're gonna be stuck on the phone with the go, huh? But hey, what, what's that password again? As long
0: as you name your SSID for your for your network FBI surveillance van four, no one will connect to it.
1: <laughs> we have two of those. <laughs> right. We have two of those in that name. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> There's two of those right in our neighborhood. <laughs> yep. So yeah, as soon as you pull it up, you're like, oh my gosh. You know who it is too. So
0: <laughs> Right, exactly. It's
1: the Cynic. It's always the Cynic that's down the street. Uh... <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: And the Super Cynic has it as CIA van number one. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh man. Yeah. I guess the, I guess the next name you have there is like, uh, who's, uh, who's responsibility. That's your, that's your, that's your middleman right there. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. I call mine Huawei. I call mine Huawei research center.
1: (laughs) You could name it rule eight, eight, nine right off the bat.
0: Yeah. Yeah. True. (laughs) Mug D six, (laughs) one, three, nine, eight.
1: No, it's a, it's a different, uh, it's definitely a, a, an evolving, um, really kind of an evolving landscape, which makes this so sort of exciting too, you know, from a cyber standpoint. Yeah, the geek in me is just always excited about the fact that, um, you know, we're continuing to innovate. Um, but at the same time, the the scariness of it, the speed at which things can happen, um, the speed of which, like say for instance, things like uh, let's say an Equifax breach and stuff from there, and how fast that moves, mm-hmm. you don't know what the the effect is going to be until ten years later. You right, know, we really don't know, right? Um, you know the the you know one of the things that we worked on uh, as far as one of our podcasts was talking about really the apparatus of uh, of artificial intelligence and, and machine learning and that really the key to this is how much data do you have how much data do you have to teach those algorithms and teach those you know components to do what you want them to do whether that's in surveillance and Reconnaissance, as well as uh, you know, breaching uh, other organizations from there. Uh, in addition to just being able to have the data that's 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 so essential to both our national security as well as to the individuals at in large numbers in the United States, and really creating you know that feeling of fear uh, and that feeling of of, uh, of of distrust and stuff too. That's there. That's the scary part of now is how much data uh, can be infiltrated at this point. We might not see it right offhand. But it's what people can do, and adversaries can do, state actors, or whichever. With all of that data uh, in the near future, uh, what can they do with it, right? So, well, you know, the a, problem is the problem is going to be with
0: as you talk about AI and and quantum quantum computing and stuff like that. The first people that are going to find the vulnerabilities and exploit them are going to be the bad guys. Good guys aren't going to get yep. whoever's making it. They're not making it with. I'm sure some are making it with security in mind, but you you can't. You're never gonna. You're never gonna. Figure out how to do it 100% secure, someone's going to find a vulnerability and they're going to exploit it. And it's going to be a while before someone figures out, hmm. I mean, think about a zero day for quantum computing. How would you like to be Mm. the guy who finds the first zero day for quantum computing and you keep it to yourself or to your employer and you utilize it? That's going to be problematic. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, back in the day, I built a Beowulf cluster, which was really a bunch of uh, Dell Optiplexes that we put together with like PLM and uh, messaging from there. And really that became one of the most, you know, back then as far as like opening my security and working on that as a research component from there, uh, I would, you know, I, I, would, I would do that and then close it up as far as close up links and stuff. Well, that Beowulf cluster turned out to be one of the best banal service <laughs> <laughs> weapons that we've ever had and have ever seen. And I did have have a discussion with probably some of your colleagues regarding that Beowulf cluster uh, back then. Um, but yes, they, you know, I came back into the data center, it was roped off and everything else. <laughs> uh, yeah, find out we had taken down things like the, the Sprint Cloud as far as up in Alexandria at that point. And it was just yeah, it was a it was a, it was a weird situation yeah. uh, at that point. But again, it was such a great advancement, right? To be able to use cheap computing and stuff to achieve supercomputing uh, results that, uh, you know, we had decided that this was gonna be appropriate for there. And, you know, we were developing what we were developing for availability and for innovation rather than for security. And so, yes, you know, the first customer for that was someone that uh, infiltrated that Beowulf cluster (laughs) and began to use that for a great distributed denial service.
0: (laughs) Yeah, great. (laughs) So I missed yeah. the days of trust on the internet. When I was in my early days, I had undercover in Charlotte for five years in, infiltrating the wares scene. So I had a 15 terabyte server farm, which was running off of a 1.5 meg per second cable connection in the early 2000s. And I had these wares groups all over the world sending me their their stolen data. and And I told them I was in... I was in um, Canada. So it's okay. We're not in the U.S. You're storing all your stuff in Canada. And uh, how I got around that was I had a source who was part of these groups, and they just trusted them. See, I miss the days of trust where you just trust trust what you see, trust what you hear.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. No, no. Nowadays it's uh <laughs> Nowadays it takes a couple. Now of it's zero
0: trust. trust. Now we now we're looking for zero trust. Kind yeah. of have zero trust, but uh, no, no, zero trust. Let yeah. me ask you a question on that zero <laughs> trust because I'm I'm, not, I'm certainly no expert on zero trust, but it seems like if you mm-hmm. have you still have to incorporate aspects of application and tools. Is there going to be? And you may if it's a, you may not know the answer to this, but I, I figure you're more knowledgeable on this than I am. If you have. Application A that is zero trust compliant, application B that's zero trust compliant, application C that handles your web server, your mail server, and your application server, let's say. And they're all zero trust, but they're different vendors. Is there any way to, once you put those all together, do you even have zero trust anymore? Because is is this zero trust equal to this zero trust equal to this zero trust architecture? And so when they all communicate, it's still all zero trust or is it no longer zero trust because the architecture is different?
1: Um, so... I'm going to answer this question in three parts, right? So you have a very diverse vendor ecosystem right now. So so, so. So say, for instance, you have Cisco's zero trust platform and technology and stuff, right? At the application level and stuff too from there, right? Sure. But yes, you can integrate that via some of the controlled and partnered APIs that these organizations have gone together. So now what you were doing with, like, let's say, with uh, with Cisco ACI, right, which is for applications to have zero trust zero trust security and certificate uh, passing and permissions for applications to talk to what database or to what application or whether apparatus from there. So you've got Cisco component of that but you can still use that in communication using like say zscaler as far as for their you know for their uh, their SD WAN component right so yes you can do that and, and it, there is a translation for that for you to do it right and you can enact a zero trust environment doing that too now where it gets sloppy is this is that sometimes organizations don't want to go that extra that extra step where hey we've got to do the integration of these two vendor products right and some of what they have do not match up so let's make a gap right let's go okay we're going to deploy our software defined data center over here that's going to be Cisco ACI from that end right but you know what it's going to only talk to itself in this area here right by itself it's not under any straight up you know enterprise management from there and then basically if we want to get to that we're going to go through this one little firewall and that's how we're going to talk to that area there so Now all you've done is said, okay, I only have zero trust in there, but I don't have zero trust for my users, right? Mm -hmm. I'm still authenticating my users through regular authentication means, right? And then they're going to come through a firewall at this point because of some trust rule that I've made for the firewall. And now they can get to that zero trust environment, which, yes, no longer makes it zero trust. (laughs) Right. Right. Got to try something. So if you're sloppy, if you're sloppy in deploying this and doing that, no, you're not going to achieve the the, uh, the the goals of the, of zero trust, right? You're not going to achieve it. If you're not tagging, uh, if you're not tagging your user, right, so that they have what they, they so they have a uh, trustworthy, what they have, what they are, uh, and, and components, what they're using, their device or whichever from there, if you're taking those things away from them actually connecting to a zero trust environment, in which case you're enacting things like uh, tagging like whitelisting and stuff within that, as well as even the, uh, the the encryption or end-to-end encryption and stuff too that you have for communications between, you know, those entities, whether it be application to application application to a database or uh, application to web services and stuff from there. Yeah, you're going to have a hole there, and it's not going to be fully a truly zero trust environment.
0: Well, I guess the good thing though and is technology is going to advance with it that will make it easier to deploy. Mm-hmm. So I think I, I don't think we're there yet, but I think eventually you'll get there where you know, it's a, oh. you, you will hopefully have like, you know, a one-stop shop for this, get this, and it'll deploy your help deploy your, your zero trust network. But well, some tells me it's got to be cloud-based, but I'm guessing on that. I'm not, I'm obvious. I'm not as well versed in zero cloud technology
1: myself, but. Yeah. Yeah. The the, the cloud-based component or the hybrid cloud component does, uh, th- that seems to be the more realistic way to be able to do it because what it does is it brings people to a common platform at that point so that you can have trust amongst organizations and trust amongst others and also be able to trust that their security and trust system right there integrates appropriately. Um, so yeah, it typically is that if folks are still kind of using more of their own data center and their own homegrown tools and everything else that go along with that, uh, that just creates the complication. And this is, you know, this is common, right? Organizations are going to adopt, technology at different rates, right? Some organizations have adopted a technology. They do their refresh every three years on everything, right? And they keep up with that because you know that's important to them. Availability is the most important thing for their organization. So they want up the latest and greatest and the fastest, right? Others are a little bit more strapped, right? And say when we talk about like the airline industry, right? More strapped for cash. It's a small margin that they make. Therefore they can't just go and invest and invest and invest, you know, money within, to, you know, in, in those entities in order to really increase their technology and then move to a zero trace, zero trust model. It's difficult to do that. They're large and they are patched together, right? How many or airlines have bought whatever airlines over the last couple of years, right? <laughs> right? You know, Continental, I used to love Continental. Well, I don't have Continental anymore, right? That's something else. And, and. <laughs> right. Uh, Yeah, so, you know, Pan Am, American, all the things that all the the companies that American has bought over the years, Delta, as well as, you know, United Airlines, right? So they have still run a lot of these regional airlines and everything else separately, including the IT infrastructure that was used to maintain and run those as regional airlines and stuff, too. So that's a patchwork that's there. So if you need to actually go to zero trust, you got a lot of work to do because you have essentially 20 or so companies you got to pull together now to make it work. So it sounds great. It's a great theory on how to right. work. It's a great framework, it's there, but you know, when you take in the real effect of like, hey, that plug's not going to work in that outlet. <laughs> right. Yeah, sure.
0: Well <laughs> I think so I think what what, you get with those. I want to know who's gonna who's gonna create the zero trust architect certification. Because that's gotta be by itself a hundred thousand dollar pay bump right there when you pass that certification. <laughs> so you're a zero trust architect. <laughs>
1: You know what I see? I see a board of the big four firms at this point in time forming together to create that particular certification.
0: <laughs> right. Because
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. I can't tell you how much money there is in consulting for zero trust and saying that you're a zero trust expert. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So it, it, there's a, there's a lot that's there, and I'm, I'm sure it's coming along. It's going to be pretty funny though, when yeah. it does. Well, yeah, in three so years, it's going to be some.
0: It's going to be some <laughs> other buzzword in three years. It's going to be something new in three years.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like absolutely. I have a friend that would uh, say Mm -hmm. that says, uh, "You know what? Call it pineapple for goodness' sakes. Just call it pineapple. Who cares?" Right.
0: Yeah. Right. Yes. That's a
1: pineapple, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, are you pineapple certified?
0: Yep. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) But it is. There's uh, zero trust. I think I first heard zero trust as far as the 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 approach on in 2010 um was i first heard zero trust and then i guess over the last three years it's really kind of became that mainstream word just like how cyber became a mainstream word and stuff too because it used to be it security or sure. security computer security right yep um you know I, I think i did my CISSP back in 2001 or 2002 2002 was when i got my CISSP. um uh, it was back then and so you know we were still looking at rainbow books back then
0: mm-hmm yes rainbow books
1: now that we were still looking at a rainbow back then so it's uh yeah it's kind of it's kind of funny seeing on how this has how this has evolved right and folks go are you in cyber i'm like well cyber what
0: yeah what's your year cyber yeah that's first i think my first my first episode of get cyber smart was defining what cyber is from my perspective, because everybody has their own perspective on what cyber is, and so I tend to take the bureau yeah. approach, where for us, cyber was unauthorized access to a computer. That's what that's what we called cyber. Um, and I mean, yep. you had cyber-enabled because you know if you do fraud online, fraud was already a crime. Just because you're doing it on a computer doesn't make it a special fraud. It's just you're using a different tool. You know, like we used to cool. we used to say, hey, you know, when bank robbery people started robbing banks with guns, they didn't create gun squads. They had bank robbery squads. They just did bank robberies. Just because there was a gun used doesn't mean you need to create a gun squad. So, but those of us in cyber said, "No, no, <laughs> we need the cyber." Because the problem was, at least for yeah. me, and when not for me, but the problem with the bureau in the early, you know, nineties into the two thousands is, you know, a lot of agents are like, "I don't want to touch that computer crap. I'm no interest in that." Yeah. So it was great for me because yep. I was I was all in. Just give me, let's go. Let's let's yep. work the cyber stuff. And
1: actually, well, I, I wasn't. a... Yeah.
0: <laughs> What's that?
1: go ahead and it, it, to your point you can tell i told you about that that, that incident i had with that with that beowulf cluster yeah. right mm-hmm. i still remember the first question that was asked me did you guys lock the doors
0: <laughs> You're right, exactly there you go. <laughs> 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 great yes
1: that was the first question <laughs> <laughs> did you guys lock the doors mm-hmm. i like
0: uh, <laughs> so, so that must have been an office that didn't have a cyber squad at the time. Maybe that was it. I don't who knows because we didn't have we didn't have cyber squads till 2002. My first squad was called the National Infrastructure Protection Center squad. That is not a cool squad uh-huh. to say you work on when you're going to a party.
1: <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, you're definitely gonna might be single for a long time after that. One. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was married when
0: I was married when I got in the bureau, so I was okay. I don't worry about that, but
1: yeah. Ah, uh, good. yeah it was 2001 when that happened okay yeah what yeah yeah, so we
0: didn't that That was a nipsey squad they had a nipsey and what office do you mind me asking what what area of the country
1: norfolk 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 virginia yeah they
0: didn't have a cyber squad they probably had a cyber or one or two cyber agents and the cyber squad that would have would have the nipsey squad that would have been assigned to your area was probably new york would be my guess would be well, no, no, Washington, D.C. Washington would have had a Nipsey squad. Um, or no, I take that back. Yes, they would have had the Nipsey squad to cover that region because actually Norfolk is part of the Richmond division. For what that's where I guarantee you, Richmond did not have a Nipsey squad in 2001. So they're only 16. Yeah. They're only 16 at that time. And like, even as I was in Charlotte, we had one. Um, and we were supposed to be like the regional cyber squad for the Southeast region there. We never worked anything outside of Charlotte. So you always had someone stuck. Hey, so someone from Richmond said, Hey, you got this, this thing going on down in Norfolk, go over and figure it out. So they found two guys who got, came in the office early and said, okay, you guys go over there and figure out what's going on with that. Whatever that is.
1: Definitely seemed that way. Yeah. It <laughs> definitely <laughs> seemed that way. <laughs> they probably like, oh, we got to go to Norfolk.
0: Yep. First question. What's a Beowulf cluster? I right, said, so that'd be the second. The first question was the door lock. Yeah, second question. What's a Beowulf cluster?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, that was it. I don't think I used the word Bayleaf Cluster after they asked me, "Did you lock the door?"
0: Yeah, right. Sure.
1: <laughs> I just said we have a supercomputer. Yeah,
0: oh, there you go. Did they seize it?
1: <laughs> uh, no, they didn't. They actually did not seize it. Nope, they didn't seize it. Um, and actually, as far as from an outcome or so, we only met with them like once or twice, and that was sound right. That was it. I mean, it, it was it was it was once or twice, and it really wasn't anything that you know anybody could do at that point. Um, I think uh, I believe that Sprint was a little bit more interested on in what happened and mm-hmm. you know, everything else because, you know, it, it created quite a bit of downtime at that point. But after that, there really was no other follow through and stuff on that particular investigation. So Was it
0: part of a botnet? Did you figure out what was who got on it and what they did with it?
1: Um, so we 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 did figure that it was. Um, we did figure that it was an international um, component. It was a Chinese, um, you know, component as far as on where uh, access and stuff was. That it did come from China during that period. Uh, we also saw that there was some internal, definitely internal IP network. Uh, some of our internal IP network and stuff from our computer science department at the time uh, that uh, that really, you know, kind of facilitated that. So, um, but you know, back then, just the apparatus for investigating these types of things was not the same. You know, it was just. Okay, what do we do now?
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what
1: do we do next? You know, and uh, who can actually understand what happened and explain that in legal terminology and stuff too that would be appropriate as far as being able to define what was the loss, right? Mm-hmm. So, yep. But yeah, these were uh, those were those were fun times. I was, uh, I, was a, I, was a, I was a young kid that barely that that was just new enough to, just enough to be dangerous at that point.
0: <laughs> so weren't we all?
1: Yeah, yep. Kind of missed those days too.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, again, I missed the I missed the trust. The online trust is missing from all of it. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Now, with your uh, with your with your career, so you retired from the FBI. Mm-hmm. Now you have your podcast, right? And. Well, what other things are we doing? Is this primary what you're doing now, as far as the podcast? No, the podcast have, is just uh,
0: podcast is side gig. I work for a clear defense contractor. We cre- we have a contract. We created a what's called the National Cybersecurity Operations Center, and it is a full service. You know, we do incident response, forensic SOC uh, assessments. Um, Uh, threat, some threat analysis stuff for small and medium-sized dib clients that really can't afford those services. Because if you want to set up your own sock, you're looking at a million bucks to start with. So we kind of take that out. And uh, so we bring, so we do it because the government is paying for it. Then if you're a small and medium-sized dib cuffs company, anywhere in the country, you can come on and get our services. Um, So we're, it's, it's, part, it's a prototype, so we're still building it out. The idea is it ultimately will be one of these things where this is the first one, and it'll it'll expand out. It's kind of the idea behind it. Um, COVID kind of threw some things off, so we're looking for a two-year extension on the prototype simply because I mean, of, a, of a host of issues, COVID being one, uh, personnel, I mean, people leaving, you know, like you said, getting a, getting a security plus, and all of a sudden they're getting $30,000 work from home from all these other companies. Yep. So trying to keep people is hard. So I do that, um, trying to build up a consulting business and doing, taking some of the skills I have and doing other things. I don't foresee me doing what I'm currently doing forever. It's good for now, but I'd like to do more consulting. And, and my, my, my real goal is to help, help the small and medium-sized business, not just did, but anybody business, not be a victim. And that, you know, there's a lot of parts to that. Um, maybe doing some fractional CISOing or some open source intelligence collection. There's a lot of... I can do a lot of things. It's just figuring out what exactly that looks like, and and finding people who pay me to do it. So there's, I do a lot of, I do speaking okay. and speaking and stuff like that, um, where I can. So it's, a, I do a bulk of different things.
1: Okay, all right. No, I'll definitely, uh, definitely that's something I want to keep in mind and stuff too. Because one of the things again is, is finding practitioners and finding leaders in this industry as well that can really you know, kind of have that passion to work with customers as far as in those areas there. Mm-hmm. Even when you have to identify things that customers aren't going to understand, you know, right. Uh, right off the bat, right? That, hey, we, we you, you do need this. It's something that's, you know, essential and, you know, to kind of like the mom and pop shop that you talked about, it became kind of a, an attack surface for, you know, for a larger attack. And folks don't understand that it, they usually look at as far as going you know what what do you do well we build sockets and we build some some circuits that go into you know whichever machines and we sell that to the dod well so, so we really don't have anything that's essential there but if you've got a connected system and you're a third-party supplier to a large aerospace defense company guess what sure oh yeah you, you do have some you, you have some very important things, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you're receiving some very sensitive information as well. Um, so, yeah, uh, definitely, it's something to keep in mind. You know, within uh, within that, and we, we do some of the same things there too, as far as working for small organizations mm-hmm. that uh, have that. And small organizations being anybody below like thirty million dollars, stuff sure. too from there, right?
0: And I think being a former teacher, it's. It may, I, I think I have a, a certain skill set to be able to explain why you need to worry about these things and and why these particular services will be valuable to you or maybe why these wouldn't. So yeah, that's, Mm -hmm. I think that's my niche still trying to figure out, but I'm still, I'm still trying to figure out what to do with my life at this point. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Oh, cool. Well, I, uh, I like the, uh, I like the hobby at least. (laughs) Yes.
0: Thank you. Yes. I love the podcast. I'm happy to, I appreciate you uh, having me on to talk and I, I appreciate the wide ranging conversation. I don't usually, I don't get that opportunity to kind of just, I, it sounds like a lot like I'm venting a lot partially because I'm on somebody else's podcast, so I don't necessarily have to be be uh be reserved anymore. I can kind of let it go. So I appreciate that. No, this that. is
1: great, man. Uh, mm-hmm. I think being able to have these type of dialogues with people and, and speak to some of the the issues and stuff too that's there, but not just that, but even just be able to share perspective too mm-hmm. uh, has been, um, you know, is it, definitely uh, rewarding. I think uh, listeners and stuff too will definitely appreciate that too. Um, as far as having that and having that back and forth and stuff there too. So hopefully we could do this again as well. Um, you know, with a couple more a couple Anytime. months or so from there. To yeah, absolutely. Get together again and look at that kind of what's going on in the in the world around us and, and having it, in particular, like even around the holiday season, uh, I was yes. talking about cyber around the right. holiday season.
0: Yep. Yeah. Right. right. First Monday in November is very important or, or I'm mean, sorry, the last Monday in November is very important for people from a cyber perspective. Yes, right it today. is. Yes.
1: Yes, it is. Yes, it is. All right, man. Well, thanks a lot, man. Enjoyed having you man. and And uh, look forward to staying in touch with you as well on this. And, uh, uh, yeah, by all means, feel free to reach out to us as well. Anytime, uh, uh you know, for that. So, Thank you. Samir. I appreciate it. it. All right, man. Take care, Dan.
0: All right. Bye-bye. I want to thank Loverture Jones again for having me on his Lojo Show podcast. I had a great time talking about a host of different little topics, and he was nice enough to allow me to kind of take some of the stuff he was talking about and go in different directions. And so I hope you enjoyed that particular conversation. I'm always interested in input about stuff on the podcast. Like I said at the beginning of the podcast, email me darren at thecyberguy.com. I always love to get emails. I respond to everyone that I get, uh, which don't seem to be a many. So feel free to email me with any topics. If you have thoughts on topics you'd like to hear, you can hit me up with that too. If you have someone who you think would be valuable to be, you'd like to listen to or have me interview on the podcast. I'm happy to do that as well. We'll have another podcast later this week. Uh, It'll be uh, more of our traditional format. I'll have some, some news and, information on different cyber trends and things like that Uh, as always thank you so much for listening Uh, if you know other folks that would benefit from the podcast feel free to direct them to any of the distribution platforms i'm on spotify apple google stitcher all the basic ones you can find this particular podcast as you go through your week understand the threats that are targeting you if you do so you can assess your risk and proceed wisely online knowledge is protection with that go into the week be safe and we'll talk soon